just when I thought I was going to get no more call-ins, uh, here is a great call-in from Travis. Oh man, what a great topic. I really enjoyed the conversation with yourself and Kurt. All the, the information is really fantastic. Got a few thoughts. I may have a couple of calls like Kurt did, but uh, a couple of thoughts. Number one, I think there it's an important difference to distinguish between predictions and prophecy. It's one thing to be able to look at trends, look at market trends, look at economic trends, look at cultural trends, national trends, and be able to predict what is coming ahead. That's certainly wisdom. I think that that's certainly God-given. Uh, but that is not the same as, as divine prophecy, you know, when, when God gives uh, a clear message. And I agree with what you said. Prophecy is not always, you know, fortune-telling. It's not always, you know, telling the future of what's going to happen. Uh, but literally, it's, you know, it's a message from God of Him saying, hey, here's, here's my message for this moment, for this, what's going on here in this particular case for this person or for this nation. So I think it's important to distinguish if you're talking about a prophetic message versus the church having wisdom or people in the church having wisdom to be able to, you know, tell the, the, the seasons and the times and make predictions. Now, Jesus himself said in Luke 16 that the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with one another than the people of the light. So that is an, an important reality to understand is that there turn are right business people then uh, turn right on East Bush in the church and there are business people in the world. And this kind of takes me to a whole nother thought, which is that far too often we have neglected to recognize the divine calling of people to be involved in business. So somehow we've cast the idea that if a person is in business, but if they were really spiritual, they'd quit their job, leave their business, sell their business, and go and become a pastor or go and become a missionary, something like that. When the reality is, is that if God has called somebody to be a business person, then the most spiritual thing they can do, and really being in line with the will of God, is to continue in their business as a faithful and productive business person. That helps in building the kingdom. We've become focused on building the church, which is not the kingdom of God. The church is a part of the kingdom of God that we sometimes, uh, and I think far too often, don't affirm the calling of Christian business people and that marginalizes them in the church. And that takes innovators out of the church and therefore the church begins to lose its prophetic voice and its edge of reaching the world through innovation. You take, for example, major institutions in the United States that care for people that have become businesses or were started as a business that actually originated out of the church, like hospitals. The first hospitals were started by churches. Many of the first prisons in America were started by churches. So that's why you have the Methodist hospital, the Baptist hospital. It's not because somebody started a hospital and wanted to name it after the Methodist church. It's because the Methodist church started a hospital. But if we as the church, uh, and really as the kingdom of God, start marginalizing business people as though they're somehow second-class kingdom citizens, then we will marginalize innovators out of the church and the church subsequently loses its edge uh, for great innovation. So those are my thoughts and uh, appreciate the show. Love the content that you're producing. And uh, there you go. God bless you. Thanks for calling in, Travis. Um, I definitely agree with you on the issue of making a distinction between prediction and prophecy. I think 
that, yeah, you know, we can employ wisdom to be able to look at trends and make predictions about what's to come. But there is that distinction between that and actual prophecy, which is going to be inspired by God, spontaneous, poured out by the Holy Spirit. And it's also, I believe, always going to bring glory to his name. It's always going to point towards him in some way, even if it doesn't explicitly, you know, it's not explicitly signed at the end from Yahweh. You know, it's it's always going to point towards his glory. And I think that that is what would give the church the edge over the world in a sense that we may be able to use wisdom and even divinely given wisdom, <clears throat> excuse me, to uh, understand certain trends and make predictions about what's going to happen however i think that what you know where prophecy makes the difference is definitely being able to explain the why you know um that not just this is what's going to happen but also the why behind what's going to happen and it's also what really marks the difference between um you say you could say those who employ the scientific method to you know figure out the way that you know certain things work but that doesn't tell you why they are or the purpose for which they've been made. So a scientist may be able to figure out, you know, aspects of physics, you know, the strong nuclear force and the weak nuclear force and, you know, how atoms are held together. But that doesn't tell you the why these things actually exist and the purpose for which God made them. That's where revelation comes in. And I think that that is one of the things that would definitely make a distinction between prediction and prophecy is being able to say that why and i was in a conversation with a brother in the lord on sunday and you know bringing up this same point about how uh science the scientific method can tell you how a light bulb works it can tell you that electricity going into the filament causes it to heat up and radiate light but it doesn't tell you that the purpose of a light bulb is to bring light into a house so that people can see in the dark you know um and I think that's what marks the difference between prediction and prophecy and indeed um, science and revelation. And that actually um, dovetails nicely with your second point about innovators in the church in that um, that really is um, one of the things that we've lost um, is innovation, is people using biblical principle to actually make strides and in innovations in the world because the very people who formulated the scientific method were all Christians. They were all people who believed in the biblical worldview. And what they did was they took the way that they studied scripture and they said, what if we applied this principle to the real world? You know, many people attribute science, modern day science to the Greeks and the Romans, not realizing that the Greeks actually, um, you know, intellectually declined. And the reason why they intellectually declined is because they came into contact with Hindu philosophers and Hindu philosophers were basically teaching them that, well, you can't possibly know truth or discern truth through your senses. So trying to use logic um, to figure out the world is meaningless. And this idea permeated Greek thought and then Greek thought fell into decline. It wasn't until uh, Christians taking the word of God, starting from, say, Genesis 1, where it says, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, starting from that point where they knew that there was a creator who made everything, sustains everything, and has ordered everything, that they could realize, you know what, we can actually make sense of the world. We can make predictions about if I drop this object from this cliff, it's going to you know, it's going to accelerate at a certain speed and hit the ground and what have you, you know. 
having that principle, that framework allowed them to make strides and innovations. And that's really what propelled Western civilization to be what it was coming out of the Protestant Reformation. You had um, people like Martin Luther encouraging people to uh, grow in literacy so that they could not only so that they could read scripture, but also to really build the foundations of their worldview, opening up schools so people could learn. Um, And again, yeah, the, the purpose was for people to learn the Bible. But ultimately, out of that came so many other things like music and literature and sciences and hospitals and all of this stuff that came just from that foundation that was laid. So, yeah, all of this stuff really, you know, laid the foundation for Western civilization um, for Christians to be innovators because they took the biblical worldview as their lens and they used that to, you know, you know, apply their God given creativity to find creative solutions to life's problems or life's challenges and what one one of the things that many people don't know is that saint augustine who wrote a lot of theology wrote six volumes just on music you know and his sixth volume on music was um laying a biblical framework for music and what he wrote on music laid the foundations for classical music and subsequently all music that has come from that. So even when we look at something like music, you know, it's it's understanding that the reason we have such creative music nowadays is because Christians took that worldview and became innovators. They, you know, they took biblical principle and they applied it to the world. And I think that, you know, we should be doing that generally. We should be applying that to everything because I believe that that's part of what it means to be made in the image of God is to look out into this world and use our creativity to not only conform it to what God would have it to be, but also to create culture, to create innovation, to create art to create music to create new things that we haven't seen before and that in and of itself brings glory to god but because we've had you know made the separation between faith and truth and the church specializes in faith and doesn't focus on truth that means that innovators are stifled so when people start to innovate people will say you're getting away from the gospel you're getting away from issues of faith when really what they're doing is they're saying, no, I've, I've, I've got that. Now I'm taking that framework and I'm applying it everywhere else. I'm taking the banner of the kingdom and I'm making outposts everywhere in the world. Um, so, yeah, those are my thoughts on that. So thank you again for calling in and uh, giving your thoughts. Good morning, everybody. Stephen Davis at FIFA Thoughts here. Uh, got another call in on the back of yesterday's broadcast, uh, this time from Victoria. <laughs> Oh my goodness, every time I hear your station, I am so blessed and so encouraged that there are um, believers out there who are thinking through, like even the call-ins are also so encouraging, just that there are other Christians out there who are using their brains, I guess. (laughs) Um, Quick question for you, actually. I was wondering, um, what is the spiritual state i guess of your geographic location because see here in america i live in ohio and our state is seeing a significant uprise in the use of heroin and in drug overdose and in addictions to prescription drugs and all these other things and 
my heart's just burning asking God, okay, why are people turning to this? Why is this happening? What can the church do about it? So I was just wondering what the church is trying to do in your area. Hey, Victoria, thanks for your call in. Um, that was a really good question. And to be honest, it's one I actually had to stop and think about for a while. So, but I feel there's kind of two questions. So I guess the first one was, uh, what is the spiritual state of my geographical area? And what is the church doing about it? Um, so I guess the first one, um, yeah, that, that took me a bit of a while to actually think of. I actually sat here for a few minutes, kind of like, you know what? I don't know. <laughs> but, um, so I'd get a bit of a heads up from, um, I found an article by um, a guy called Colin Dye. And he is the senior pastor of a church here in London called Kensington Temple, uh, which just so happens to be the kind of uh, head satellite like head church of the network my church is part of so my church is kind of a satellite of his church um but i'll talk a bit more about my thoughts on that after because it does kind of relate but um he wrote an article it was back in 2012 but um i think all the points that he made are still relevant for today um and what he was basically saying was that what you see in the uk is um that generally it would be reported in the media that there is a spiritual decline um so main like let's say quote-unquote mainline denominations which would be baptist uh anglican and probably methodist uh you're seeing a decline in the amount of you know attendance to these churches and that's really what the media will focus on so they'll say that spiritual uh, christianity is in decline in the uk but what they won't report on is actually the explosive growth in other areas so primarily pentecostal and charismatic churches they're actually seeing an increase of about 148 percent um and that's predominantly from those who are immigrants really so primarily african and caribbean immigrants that's really where the boom in pentecostalism is but it's you know it's not, it's not just confined to those ethnic groups quote unquote um but so what you are seeing is a decline but you're also seeing a growth and me personally how i view that is that when you look at the greater spiritual condition in the uk um the uk is very preoccupied with political correctness very preoccupied with giving favorable lip service to islam and very favorable to things like lgbt issues and abortion um, one thing i've noticed about the uk which uh in terms of on the world stage isn't really noticed throughout the rest of the world is that the uk always leads first in terms of moral and ethnic issues so what i mean by that is that the uk was the first to pass laws legalizing abortion and the us shortly followed the uk was first to pass laws about gay marriage and the us shortly followed um the uk very much capitulates to uh, muslims and islam um the us i think is still a bit uh maybe more hesitant on that front probably because of 911 but generally the you know you can tell in my opinion what's going to follow in the rest of the west spiritually by looking at the uk um so yeah the uk is very preoccupied with political correctness and very much with uh pushing christianity to the side 
uh, attacking Christianity, uh, marginalizing it. Um, you know, there's been a lot of cases over here in terms of people um, losing their jobs for sharing their faith. You know, so not nurses praying for patients, you know, losing their jobs. Um, we had the famous case of a family in Ireland who run a bakery. Uh, believers refused to bake a cake for a gay wedding, were taken to court. And, you know, they've appealed several times and each time they've lost. Um, so those are kinds of the spiritual issues that we're facing, um, as well as other moral and ethnic issues, a lot of moral relativism. Um, the UK has the number one abortion rate in Europe. Um, underage sex is a, you know, a big issue here, a breakdown of families, uh, divorce rates are high. So those are kind of all the social issues that we're facing. Um, and what I'm seeing in the church is that as people, as these issues are coming up, issues like same-sex marriage and abortion and Islam and what have you, is that it's forcing people to now make a choice. Am I going to go with the culture or am I going to stand firm? And um, my time's running out, so I'll continue this in a second. Yeah, so as um, these challenges come up, as well as challenges like secular humanism in the schools, um, I think what we're seeing is that people who genuinely hold to the faith are holding firm. And I think what we see as a decline is actually what scripture describes as this, you know, great apostasy. But how I see that is not that true believers are falling away, but I believe that those who, you know, in the parable of the sower, where it says that, uh, the, the seed sown on rocky ground springs up very quickly with joy but has no root and then when persecution or affliction comes they quickly fall away and I think that's what's happening is that now that society is putting pressure on the church um, to silence it put it back in the closet um, that those who are genuine believers are holding firm and those who are fake are falling away and so what you're seeing is in many of the mainline denominations you're seeing a decline but you are also seeing a boom and a growth, particularly in denominations that move with the spirit of God and spiritual gifts. Uh, make of that what you will. Um, so I think that that is generally the, the spiritual climate. I think that there is a spiritual vacuum in the UK uh, because the church isn't as vocal as it should be. And I'll get onto that in a second. Um, so what's happening in terms of spiritually is that Islam is very much filling that void and the uk government is basically doing everything in its power to coddle islam um so for example when you have the recent terror attacks that we've had in london where you had three in a space of about two to three months uh they will literally within 24 hours every politician will be on the tv telling us that this has absolutely nothing to do with islam even though you had the people shouting Allahu Akbar whilst they were blowing themselves up or trying to kill people and saying this is for Islam and this is for Allah or this is for Syria or what have you. Um, and so there's this um, drive to separate what these people are doing from any of the um, teachers, teachings of Islam or the example of their prophet Muhammad. Um, so there's a lot of ignorance that's being uh, perpetuated in terms of the greater public and I think that's actually masking a deeper problem um, so we had the terror attack in Manchester on the Ariana Grande concert and the response to that was to put on another concert with lots of celebrities coming to basically say you know yeah we stand firm and we're not going to let you terrorize us and all of that stuff but I was very grieved by this concert 
um, because I felt like because the government and because the media is very much um, trying to make a separation between what those people did and the ideological beliefs of Islam is that uh, and ISIS so separating Islam and ISIS from each other is that it then prevents the public from understanding really why these people did what they did the theology that drives them and in many ways it's very much a perversion of Christian theology but how can I put it uh, to put it this way their issue is sin but the way that they respond to sin is different from how Christians would so their response to sin is we're going to wage physical war and attack you for your sin and for your iniquity whereas our response should be to proclaim the light of Christ so what happened was because the government and the media want to separate the theology of um, these radical Muslims from their religion is that the society at large doesn't understand that the reason they're being attacked is because of their sin and iniquity so case in point why would this person attack an Ariana Grande concert because in their mind here you have teenage girls going to a concert with a young woman who sings songs about having so much sex the night before that she can't walk straight you know and it's all very looks very cute and looks very poppy and what have you but that's the message that's been put out and these people see that and they see the west as disgusting and sinful and worthy of destruction and hence why they attack um and what i think is happening there is that um the uk does have a spiritual and moral problem and that because the church isn't stepping in to address that as much as they should be other spiritual forces are stepping in instead so i actually believe that this is kind of a two-pronged thing i believe that you know the enemy the devil is taking advantage of the situation but i also think that it's very much akin to what god did to israel with the babylonians in a sense that because of their sin and idolatry he sent the nations of assyria and babylon to attack israel divide them and exile them um, and basically to show them, you know, because you have been living these iniquitous, idolatrous and adulterous lives, I'm now bringing judgment upon you. So I think that when we see things like this happening, I think it should be a wake up call that spiritually, morally and ethically, the UK is in sharp decline. Um, but the response is not to say, oh, let's actually examine ourselves and ask whether the way that we're living is wrong, because obviously it's coming in the form of terrorism. So the response is, no, we're going to be even more firm in the way that we're living. So we're going to put on this big show that's just going to display the ideology we hold up, which is, you know, idolizing celebrities, um, sex and drugs and all that stuff. It's not to say that all the songs that were sung at that concert were negative, but that's the general kind of air that I got from it. Um, and that now takes us to the church. Um, what is the church doing about all of this? I believe that there are many who are doing a lot of work on the ground. Um, I'm, I, I'm certain that there are many small ministries and organizations and individuals who are doing a lot. But I do feel that the church isn't doing enough in a way that's unified. And I think that the church in the UK just isn't unified. And because it's not unified, you can't actually tell what the church is doing because it's, it's just so fragmented. 
all the efforts and work of the church is so fragmented and part of the reason for that is because everyone is more concerned i think about building up their ministry than being members of one body so you know you think back to the early church where you just had the church in corinth the church in ephesus the church in thessalonica the church in philippi these were all cities and there was even though you probably had multiple local you know gatherings in many homes it you know collectively they were known as one church in london specifically um you don't you don't really see that case in point like i said my church is part of a quote-unquote church network which i have a big problem with um i don't believe that there should be a hierarchical structure in churches so i don't think there should be a you know high church that has these smaller satellite churches underneath it i think each congregation should be independent but we should still be interconnected um and the other problem that i see is that if you take my congregation as it is we meet in a community center in a community hall with let me think there are about one two three four or five other churches that gather in this same building on sunday morning there are two other churches that are there at the same time as us and when you walk into the building it to me it sounds like a mess it's just a racket it's just noise you know um because all the con congregations are Pentecostal, which means they're all loud. <laughs> and it just sounds often like everyone is competing for attention. Um, there is a road in London called Old Kent Road, and it's notorious for having churches literally, like, I don't know how long this road is, maybe a couple of miles long, but it's literally lined with churches, like, everywhere, right next to each other. Um, do they communicate do they interrelate do they work together no um like i said it's, it's all very fragmented and so because the church is so fragmented in this way um i don't think there is a really grand move to address the spiritual issues that are in the country um and it's not to say that everyone needs to necessarily believe the same thing i just feel like um there's just not enough recognition like okay you are a hand i am a foot but we can work together to do something and we're gonna honor and respect our differences but we're gonna work towards the same common goal there's a lot of lip service to that but it never really happens you know um like i think it was last year we did an event in the same community in the community hall center hall with the other churches and it was meant to be a, an event to celebrate the the queen's 90th birthday so we put on this garden party and invited the com community and you know it was that all these three to four churches were going to band together and put on this you know this event and you know it was it was a fine event and you know it went as well as i guess it could but right after that all the churches kind of went back to just passing each other in the hallway and saying hello and that was kind of it it's just again this competition and i think it's, it's because churches have become a business you know churches have become corporations and so all the other churches are not you know other departments in the same organization or you know other members of the same family they are rivals they are competitors um, and because everyone is competing nothing's really getting done um, so that's one problem the other problem with the church in addressing um, everything that's going on um, and the thought just went 
out of my head. Yeah, it's completely gone out of my head. But yeah, so there, there's that. There's the lack of unity. Um, oh, so yeah, I remember now. <laughs> and the other issue is that the church is too inward looking. Um, so, again, when these terrorist attacks happened, I was so grieved. Um, no, it was it was the day of the concert, I think. But it was the, the day of the concert was the day after a previous terrorist attack in London Bridge, which was fairly close to where I live. So that one was a bit more close to home. But I was very grieved that Sunday morning. And the reason why I was grieved was because I knew that we were all going to go to our churches that morning and we were all just going to pray and none of us were going to do anything. Or we would maybe give this thing a passing mention and then we would just carry on with the program as usual. Um, and that's, I guess, the other issue I have with the church is that it is very program oriented. Whether it's the liturgy on the Sunday or whether it's we're putting on events in the community and what have you, it's all event oriented. And because it's all about programs, anything that interrupts or disrupts the program, you don't want to give too much time to. So, oh, there's a terrorist attack. Okay, we'll, we'll pray that everyone is blessed and everyone's well, but we won't do anything other than that because the show must go on. Um, and it's very much, you know, what James talks about in terms of faith without works. You know, if someone comes to you without clothing and hungry and you say, you know, go be filled and be warm, but you don't actually provide anything for them. I, felt, I feel like that is very much how the church is because we're more concerned with keeping our congregations, um, branding, um, marketing, uh, following the program, making sure no other church is stealing our members. Like, that's just, you know, how everything is. Um, and so I think that the church is very much lame here in the UK. Um, again, there is definitely going to be great work being done, but I think it's more done in pockets rather than as a unified whole. And I don't think that necessarily means that the church in the UK is worse off than any other church. That's just how I see it. So, yeah, so there's a spiritual vacuum um, which is being filled by Islam. Um, moral decay which isn't really being addressed because the church is too fragmented to do anything about it and also I think that we're not giving a, a good enough example of how to live as a new creation as a new humanity I don't think we're setting a good enough example in our marriages in the way we do business in the way we engage with culture in the way we create culture create art um, the church is just far too introspective far too much of a let's just pre preserve ourselves until jesus comes back rather than being light in the world so yeah so those are my thoughts on the state of the church in the uk and what the church is doing about it thank you for answering all those questions well i guess i only had the two questions but thank you for giving it so much consideration uh, i really appreciated hearing that i like to know if I can, I would love to know what all of the all of the states of our world countries are in terms of spiritual warfare and um, spiritual states and yeah, I don't know. It just it I I don't know exactly how to express why I have a passion about that, but I do. <laughs> Still figuring it out. Um but yeah, I'm definitely going to be calling in a few times, so I apologize in advance, but um, I just wanted to start off by, by just saying that I appreciate the consideration that you've given um, to the topic.
and now I'm going to call in again. Okay, so first of all, I was amazed to hear how parallel the conditions of our uh, countries are in terms of spiritual state. Just with, I mean, even right down to the bakery in the law, um, in the lawsuit and everything, we have the exact same scenario with a certain bakery and a couple others, but there's one in particular sort of spearheading that. And um, just hearing how... I, that's our that's our liberal movement right there <laughs> in our country, just welcoming it all in and and um, trying to pretend that nobody's faith is is causing them to do anything horrible unless you're a Christian and then your faith is exactly what's causing you to do something horrible. Uh, just speaking out of both sides of their mouths all the time in the media. And it's so interesting to me that you talked about the media. Because um, the media is exactly the same issue that we have here with reporting what serves the narrative and leaving out what doesn't. And um, it's interesting to me that there is that upswell in churches in your area where where spiritual gifts are respected and um, encouraged. That is so cool. <laughs> that is, um, it makes me wonder about the statistics for where I live because I don't actually know what they are. Um, there are a lot of churches in, in my little country area, um, but it's really... It's there's been a really cool journey with that, as a matter of fact. My experience back when I was a teenager and in the church I grew up in was Baptist um, was very much the experience that you're describing where I, maybe even on steroids a little bit because they thought that that congregation was the only one in, in the entire world who had everything exactly right when it came to Scripture. And then I came out of that into a non-denominational church, which struggled for a bit because of some leadership things and some tragedy, but um, is now coming into its own and um, has worked extremely hard uh, so far. Probably always room for improvement, but worked really, really hard to make sure that the churches in the area understand that we are all one church, that we all serve God and denominations don't stop us from serving the community together and praying together and doing things for people together. One great example of this, there's a man in our community who's felt called to start a ministry that helps different churches um, with their with their worship teams and just prays for them or trains them if they need it some in some area. And he, once a month he holds a worship night and on that on a worship night, it's not unusual for there to be four to seven or more of our local churches represented by congregation and by pastor. So the one night he had the pastors come forward, there were a line of seven of them from different denominations, different churches, different congregations standing there, and people would go up to them to be prayed for um, during this one part in the, in the worship service. And that was such a great visual for me personally to see like that our pastors are putting their money where where their mouth is and really pushing um, to knit together because our community needs the church, not denominations. I mean, ultimately, we all need God. We all need Jesus. But a healthy church helps a community to be healthier as well. 
And one of the things that I have really gotten a fire for, um, sorry for the Christianese, I'm used to using those words, but <laughs> what I've really gotten a passion for is um, intercession. So not just praying for things, but actually interceding for things. And I'm, I've come to see a difference. And I don't know if it's just, um, if it's, I think it's just a difference in heart attitude. Um, passively praying for things and hoping that God takes care of it and then interceding for things and allowing God to put pressure on my heart for the situation that I'm not usually a part of or that I am a part of, but that I haven't known exactly what to do. So that's a direction that I think is happening in our country, well, in our area, in my little country area. <laughs> but of course, I'm not satisfied to just sit still <laughs> and intercede um, because I'm passionate about this this um, high spike in my area, like specifically in Ohio, in my area, in, in the, the counties surrounding me, it's really bad. And um, the number of displaced children from these, it's just horrific. The morgues are, are, are struggling to keep up like it's bad. So um, my passion, my drive is to find some sort of action point that God is wanting us to pursue some sort of, of key to unlocking the pain that people are having trouble coping with that's pushing them towards this, making them vulnerable towards this addiction and this overdose issue in my area. So um, next, Colin has a question attached to it. <laughs> so I've been asking what can we do, and um, some most of the answers that I have been given so far have been baby step answers, which is probably appropriate. Um, but I was wondering, what are the answers that you've been getting? What are some of the baby steps that you see that your family can do or that your congregation can do? How do you move into that position of being an example? How do you reach out to the people in your community who don't want to um, walk into a door and be part of a church. You know, I, I don't know, like, it, it's it's easy to sit here and to point at the problems that our churches have. I would 100% agree with all of the points that you made. I think that there's a lot of similar issues here in, all, in the United States. But now it's, now the question is, okay, you see that, now what do you do? I can hear that you are also passionate about wanting something to change and knowing that God has something different for us. Um, so how do you, if, if, let me, let me put it this way, I guess, if you could get the churches in your area to stop looking at their belly buttons, what would be um, the first step towards either becoming connected or do you think they have to be connected first or do you think they will connect through um, trying to help in the community or trying to um, stand for the truth in the community? And um, what do you think that your community, that your area is searching for? Like, what's the heartache there? Um, like I said, that's a burning question for me, for my area. Just God, show me where the pain is, you know? 
thanks again for the call in and for the question um it's actually quite a doozy um but i guess there are two questions there the first being you know what you know what do we do or what steps are we taken and the other being when churches stop being so inward focused how do we bring them together or will they just naturally come together when we start doing things um in terms of the first question that was really what i started to ask you know or cry out to the lord really um and i still don't think i completely have an answer and i think there isn't going to be one answer either and the reason why there isn't going to be one solution is uh, what we see in first corinthians 12 and romans 12 where the body of christ is made out of different limbs with different functions and so because the body has different limbs and different functions we're going to find that there are going to be different solutions to the problems that we see in society many different parts of the body are going to come up with different ways of addressing it but i think that that's um partly where um the answer to your second question comes in um in the sense that i think what will connect the body is that very same thing is realizing that you know the body of christ even though we are different um that we all need each other um and that our differences are actually god given to i guess you could say um improve the way that we do things um so i'm trying to find the specific there's a particular verse um that talks about it uh and i'll see if i can find it and then hit you back right yeah so it's uh first corinthians 12 from verse 24 to 25 uh, but the latter half of verse 24 so it says but god has so composed the body giving greater honor to the part that lacked it that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another um and then he goes on say if one member suffers all suffer together if one member is honored all rejoice together so uh god has composed the body in such a way that the body has different parts and functions and even those parts of the body which we may look at with disdain and may think well surely not you know we can't partner together with you um god has composed the body um, giving greater honor to those parts that lack it so that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another so i think it's recognizing our differences acknowledging our differences um and accepting our differences i think that's the only way that we'll be able to um, connect with each other uh, by realizing that each part of the body has something that the other part of the body needs um, and you know ephesians 4 excuse me from verses um 11 onwards um says that rather speaking in the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into christ from which the whole body joined and held together by every joint that which um that with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love so in other words when everyone does their part when everyone shares with one another what they have um the whole body will grow in love so i think um it, and it's not to say that some of our differences aren't important um but i guess it's realizing what differences we can afford to disagree on and i'm currently reading a really great book on that very subject called uh conscience um it's got a subtitle but i forget what the subtitle is quite a long subtitle but it's basically about you know 
um, dealing with the differences we have with other Christians. And in the fifth chapter of the book, um, they give three levels of what they call theological triage. So um, three levels of, I guess, to determine um, how important some of our differences are. So the first level is, you know, those things that are essential and essential. So you can't deny these things and be a Christian. Um, the second level is denominational or local differences. So those will have more bearing on, you know, what local congregation you're a part of. And then third level is matters of conscience, which members of the same church can disagree, but still fellowship together. So I guess it's kind of going to be a combination of those second and third levels um, overcoming the fact that um, you may have differences with other denominations, which I'm just going to say are different parts of the body, um, bearing with it and realizing that they have something of value. So case in point, I've had discussions with people who uh, don't believe in the Trinity, who uh, believe that we should be following the dietary laws in the Old Testament. Um, and, you know, even though I disagree with those people, listening to them has actually enriched me because it's helped point out the weaknesses in my own position and strengthen those weaknesses um, and so even they have something of value to add um, because sometimes we can be so caught in an echo chamber of our own beliefs that we're actually unwilling to hear where we have flaws and it's often those we disagree with who can point out those flaws very easily so um, I think it's yeah it's realizing that we do have something to share so you know, Pentecostals, for example, have much to learn from those who believe that gifts don't continue today, because the, you know, growing up in a Pentecostal church, um, there is less of an emphasis on solid, consistent Bible teaching, um, and more of an emphasis on anecdotes and you know, worship and singing and what have you, and you know, using the gifts and all that stuff. Whereas on the other side of the equation. Um, because there's so much of a focus on doctrine um, and I guess structure, um, there isn't that freedom of the spirit to move. There isn't really um, a place for exuberant worship and praise and fellowship and all of that stuff. Um, but it's realizing that both sides need each other. So that's how I think um, churches can stop being inward focus and connect. And I think from that point on, we'll be able to find various different ways in which we can actually solve this problem. So um, in terms of what I personally am doing, this actually connects um, to my book. So part of um, the reason why I'm writing this book is, I guess, to kind of try and heal some of those divides um, in the sense that I primarily started writing it to address that very debate. Um, in terms of spiritual gifts versus uh, the cessation of spiritual gifts. That's why I started writing, but it kind of, you know, it went on to encompass many other things. But ultimately, um, one of the central themes of the book and the reason why I'm writing it is to talk about the unity of the body, um, which is why the imagery on the front cover is meant to be an, a multi-ethnic bride, you know, the bride of Christ being multi-ethnic, showing that, you know, we come from varying different nationalities but we're all united in one body um but also showing that we you know um helping break down some of the barriers that we have um you know denominationally and in, in terms of practice and um just showing how we can all be united as one body with one spirit um now obviously i, I do address some of my disagreements with you know other people in the faith but i think 
where I am right now in my walk is I'm so in between everybody else that I feel like I can speak into many other different issues and hopefully, you know, bring different parts of the body together. Ultimately, that's what I want to do. So that is really why a lot of my focus right now is on writing this book, because I feel like I'll have I'll be able to have far more reach with what I can write than um, me necessarily just going up to churches, knocking on their doors and saying, hey, can we like come together and get along, you know, in, in the wider scheme of things, I'm a nobody. So there's only so much I can do. But um, that does connect a bit to what you were saying about wanting to know this state of the spiritual state of churches around the world in the sense of I've had that burning desire pretty much for the last 10 years except to know about the spiritual condition of churches in London so um even though I've you know I've been attached to my congregation for the last 10 years I've um especially more recently felt a sense of um uh, unease um, being too comfortable and wanting, you know, to return to that original desire I had, which was to have the freedom to literally go to other churches and just find out what is your spiritual state, what is the state of your congregation, and what are you guys doing? Um, so yeah, so that's what I'm trying to do um, in terms of what the body of Christ at large is supposed to do. I don't yet have I don't think, well, yeah, I don't think there is one solution. I think the solution's only gonna come from the body, pulling all of its body parts together and functioning as we are supposed to. Um, but I do think that will have a lot to do with us just uh, loving one another as Christ has called us to love one another. And I don't just mean in the simplicity of, oh, we all get along, but actually finding creative solutions to the problems that we face. So obviously the other day I talked about housing, um, Christians putting their heads together to overcome their own housing crisis, to overcome poverty within the body of Christ, to overcome unemployment. Um, I think if we pull together and start to show the world what can happen when Christians work together, I think that will go a ways towards showing the rest of the world um, how to solve those issues, because that was why God raised up Israel, was to be a light to the nations. Um, he gave them this law so that if they had lived it perfectly, it would have shown all the other nations around, like, this is how you can live and prosper. And I think that's basically the, the same pattern we need to follow to uh, live as light and show the rest of the world, like, you know, if you live like this, things will be a lot better for you. So, so yeah, those are my thoughts.